Welcome to the Outsiders Podcast. My name is Neil Sandlin. I am one of the hosts of this podcast. The other is Tyler France. What's good? We are uh, starting this podcast with information that we've just uh, got on our uh, Twitter feeds and stuff. And so we went on the, the news. We are here in the DFW area, and mm-hmm. we just found out that there was a shooting yep. uh, in an Arlington school, Timberview School in Arlington and Mansfield, maybe, I guess. Yeah, it's about 40 minutes from where um, we are right now. And uh, apparently two students were in a fight. Yeah. Um, according to law enforcement, as of right now, they believe that that fight then escalated, and one of the students pulled a gun. Three uh, three students have been shot, one adult. I think it's at four, um, Four total, I think. Oh, okay. And um, yeah. so they even said some are in surgery right now. We're right. recording this on uh, Wednesday at 12, 10. And so mm-hmm. this has just happened this morning. Yep. And, um, man, it just – we're praying for the families. We're praying for the people that have been shot. We're praying for this young man who um, pulled the gun right. and has fled and run, and they're searching for him right now, uh, both the students – um, connecting it to this podcast, both the students are African American, mm-hmm. um, which you hate to see anybody doing this, but you uh, hate to see it coming from the black community because you know uh, some of the rhetoric that'll be right. that'll be surrounding this that um, necessarily would not be used if it was two white students. Yeah, and um, mm-hmm. and so we want to um, defend the black community right. as this is kind of going down to making sure that. This is being dealt with um, properly, properly and justly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, we're not stereotyping and and yeah, we're a podcast uh, on race, justice. Yeah, and Jesus. Jesus. And so that's weighing on us. I'm sure when you're listening to this, more information has come out, and we've gotten more details of what went down. But right. um, that's just on our mind because we're literally jumping on right as we're finding all this out. So yeah. Another thing that um, we want to discuss here in kind of our heart check uh, section. Uh, the verdict for R. Kelly came down last week. Yes, it did. Um, if you do not know who R. Kelly is, um, you can Google him and find out. Um, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, this generation behind Tyler and I, mm-hmm. all they're going to know him for basically is uh, these allegations and the um, – well, he's been found guilty now. It's yep. not just allegations. But no. uh, R. Kelly was an R&B singer most popular in the 90s, I would yeah. say. Uh, he is the – he hit my radar with Space Jam. Oh, I yeah. believe I can fly. You know, oh, that's yeah, the yeah. that's the song that uh, yeah. put him on the map for me. Yeah, that was me too. And um, he put out a bunch of stuff, was very, oh, very yeah. popular. Apparently, though, for years, mm-hmm. he has been not only sexually abusing minors, but sex trafficking right. as well out of a home that he has... Um, that he basically was using for that purpose. Right. And uh, even back in the nineties, he was, he was in some trouble. Uh, right. Or at least, you know, he married Aaliyah. Who was yeah. 15. 15 years old. And I yeah. guess the state that they were in allowed that, but right. and the parents, I think the parents signed off too. Yeah. And, and but red flags, he was 27. Yeah. Red flags should have gone off uh, for everybody right then when a 27 year old is marrying a 15 year old. Yeah. Um, and, that's, that's problematic. And he's had some interviews where he, uh, he, he even kind of waffled on a, a question of, do you like teenage yeah. girls? And he was just yeah. like, define the age. Right. Like, and so, and I, mean, I think too, some of the allegations were years and years past. Yeah. Um, that didn't, I guess there wasn't enough evidence or they couldn't uh, verify a few things. These charges that he has mm-hmm. now been found guilty of five different counts, yeah. all of them, he was found guilty on every one of them. It's actually nine different counts. Nine different yeah, counts. Yeah, and then uh, one racketeering. So right. it's one racketeering and then eight sex trafficking charges. Yeah. He will probably yeah. spend the rest of his life. Um, yeah. He's, he has 10 minimum uh, life maximum. And, yeah. and so, um, but, but, you know, the bright side of this is, is this is a victory for many women of color. Yeah. Who often feel like they are uh, right. not seen. Right and not cared for and they're right. unimportant or, um, you know, the, so yeah. the, their voices are finally being heard and, right. and this stuff has been happening, you know, I, I guess he was found guilty. So this stuff has been happening, yeah. um, for, for years and years oh, and yeah. years. And I mean, I can't imagine, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a daddy to a daughter. Yeah. I, I can't imagine right. that. Right. And then wanting um, the justice to see the justice happen. 
and fighting for the justice and then to finally see that justice come. And it doesn't yeah. undo anything that's done, no. but when justice happens, um, there is some rejoicing. he can't do it again, right? Yeah, he <laughs> like can't do it to least... anybody else, and uh, um, there is some rejoicing in the justice that needs to be done. And so R. Kelly will probably um, possibly spend the rest of his life in prison, yeah. and um, and, it is, and he deserves that. Right. And, um, and hopefully the victims mm-hmm. can can get the counseling they need, get the therapy right. they need, ultimately mm-hmm. get the Jesus they need <laughs> right. if they yeah, don't know absolutely. him to, um, to heal their lives mm-hmm. and to transform and change them. And so, and as hard as it is sometimes, you know, I also pray that R. Kelly finds Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so as, as, yeah, that, as angry as, as that kind of behavior makes, makes me and, and sure. uh, as he makes me, I, I do, man. Yeah, I, we I want him to fall down at Jesus the, and, the feet of Jesus as well. Yeah. You know, and, and these victims that have been through so much physically, uh, emotionally, yeah. mentally, you know, all that abuse that has taken place, um, we just pray that the Lord would, would move in a mighty way in their lives and, and, uh, and transform them, yeah. you know, and, and really change uh, this story yeah. uh, for his glory. And we redeem it. Redeem it. And, and that's what we want to be mm-hmm. as the people of God. We want to be the people of God that, re, that redeem yeah. things, that, that take what God has given us and use them um, for his glory. Right. And that certainly includes what we're going to be talking about today is the mind, yeah. right? God, God has given us a mind. We want to use the mind for his glory. And we see the early church in Africa doing that right out of the gate yeah. when it comes to Christianity. So that's what we're going to be talking about Part today. Three. Part three, the black presence the in early Christianity. This, this is, is it, this man. Is it. Yeah. The black presence in early Christianity. Part three, we're going to be talking about uh, how they use their mind and intellect to impact the world. First off, in this historical segment, um, we used a clip last week, Tyler, uh, yep. by a man. By his name is Thomas Odin, and yep. he has written a book called I'm How said Greg Odin. Greg, uh, who's oh, Greg Odin? Greg Odin. He was the basketball player from Ohio State that oh. got drafted by Portland and then hurt his ankle and yeah. foot and was never the same. Came That's in with Mike right. Conley. Oh, tragic! Uh, what was tragic? I mean, I'm sad for him. <laughs> what was tragic yeah. about that? Is that the Portland Trailblazers took him number one and Kevin Durant went number two? Wow! So Portland could that. have had Kevin Durant over Kevin Durant. I but, forgot about yeah. that. Wow. Now you're probably not tuning into this podcast to hear basketball talk, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now: if you hang around Tyler not too long, you're going to hear basketball, basketball talk. So that's just the way it's going to be. But no, not Greg Odin. Thomas Odin. Yeah. He has written a book called How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind. I would encourage you to buy it and read it. It's not overwhelming. It's not too long or too difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, we played a clip from him last week. He does a great job talking about how Africa and the things in Africa, the way that they handled Christianity, then impacted moving up north and then you know finally to the west. And so what I want to do is I want to take a section of his book, and I just kind of want to talk through it a little bit. He, yeah. he lays out seven ways, uh, and there are more than this, but right. seven ways that Africa shaped the Christian mind. So I mm-hmm. want to walk us through these, and, and you and I, Tyler, just kind of talk them out a little bit and yeah. the impact that, that, that they have had. Number one, the Western idea of a university was born in Africa. Safe to say that's pretty big. Pretty big. Now, I yeah. think we could all agree— Colleges and universities are beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. They are good for human beings. Mm -hmm. They are especially good in training up theologians and scholars. Right. You think about all of the theologians and scholars that have come out of university and college training. Oh, yeah. Um, This... Well, that's how we get experts, right? Absolutely. And 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 what the West did is the West basically came up with a experimental academic model. Like what if we modeled academia this way? Mm -hmm. What they did is they took their ideas Mm -hmm. of a university. Mm. They took it from Africa. Yeah. The library in Alexandria, we talked about Alexandria being so important yeah. to early Christianity in Northern Africa. They took the library of Alexandria, which was the model of university libraries. For those of you who don't know, libraries are places that have books. 
like yeah. physical books. Right. You actually can go anymore. and you can go and check them out yeah. and, and bring them back. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> many of you don't, you're like, I've never been in a library. I don't know. Um, but the library in Alexandria was so massive and, and important. It actually wasn't excelled for five centuries later. Mm. So this was a library that nobody was able to do anything better for a very, very long time. Yeah. Now here's what happened at this library because mm-hmm. this library was so important and, and big and expansive communal learning happened mm. at the library. Philosophers, scientists, writers, artists, educators, theologians, groups of these people would come and gather at the Alexandrian library Mm. to do work in the third century. This communal learning Mm -hmm. style, this was the essential archetype for the future university in the West. Man, Gathering at one place, studying together in groups, studying specific things, Mm -hmm. scientist study, theologian study. Mm -hmm. This was all laid out and taken by the West from Africa. And you're going to hear me say this a lot from Africa, right? From Africa. From Africa. Um, it's, it's, it's right to say this Christian scholarship Mm -hmm. was born in Africa, was born in Alexandria, Egypt. Um, this changed learning forever. Yeah. Learning itself was transformed. Not just Christian learning, like learning. learning. Yeah. Yeah. But even more specifically, Absolutely. Christian scholarship Absolutely. was there yeah. and then exported to Rome. Number right. two, Christian exegesis of scripture was first matured in Africa. Mm-hmm. As a pastor, I thank God for proper biblical interpretation. Amen. I thank God for principles that have been tried and true and worked through in order to help us understand what the Bible is saying. Right. It's so massively important Mm -hmm. that we interpret scripture correctly and we use the principles that help us do that. The great minds of the fourth century Mm -hmm. in modern day Turkey, in the Mediterranean, they used proper exegesis to define things like the Trinity, Mm. to, to think through early Christian doctrine, men yeah. like Basil the Great and mm-hmm. Gregory of Nazianzus and Gregory of Nyssa. Um, these men who did this work in the Mediterranean mm-hmm. were decisively shaped by extensive exegesis from Africa. Man. Basil and the two Gregories, what they did is they took the principles laid out from origin mm-hmm. in Africa mm. Basic teaching and forms of exegesis. Here's how we interpret scripture. Here's how we look at it. Then this goes to Europe and Asia. Mm. But these rules and these methods of interpreting scripture were decisively shaped in Africa. I don't think many people know that. No, they they don't. Well, most people don't even know where the principles came from, period. Period, yeah. yeah. They're like, how do we interpret scripture? We just magically had them. How do we, you know... (laughs) What does it mean that we use context? What right. do it mean that we use the Bible to interpret the Bible? What right. what does that mean? Where did that come from? Yeah, uh, all of this was kind of laid out in Africa, and it wasn't just Origin, even mm-hmm. though he was massively in, important, mm-hmm. um, but also by fourth and fifth African exegetes like Didymus, mm-hmm. the Blind, and Tychonius and Augustine. Augustine's a big deal. There, there's this 28 volume commentary called the Ancient Christian Commentary on Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very unique kind of commentary because what they do is they go back to old writings and they use old writings for the commentary. Yeah. So they're yeah. not writing new commentary; they're actually going into ancient writings right. and laying them down in commentary mm-hmm. for us. And here's what's interesting: when the editors of this work, which was at Drew University, mm. when the editors of this work did their digging, they were shocked to find such a large percentage of text from Africa or text influenced by African writers Mm. among the early Christian comments on word for word, verse for verse scripture. Right. They, they were not expecting that. And what they found is when you're looking for commentary on verse by verse, by verse, by verse, so much of it came from Africa. Yeah. They were not expecting that. Yeah. So the, so the way that we exegete scripture today has been super influenced by African theologians. Absolutely. When we yeah. look at 
how do we interpret scripture today? Yeah. How we do that hard, difficult work. Yeah, yeah. We have Africa to thank. Man. Number three, African sources shaped early Christian doctrine. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that if you got guys doing hard, exegetical, good yeah. biblical interpretation work, mm-hmm. that then they're going to come up with good doctrine. Right. And and I just want to say this, doctrine matters. Oh, it's it's huge. It's, People, it is. People hear the word doctrine and they were like, oh, that's just for the intellectuals. Mm-mm. That's just for the, the high and mighty smart people. No, that's orthodoxy. <laughs> y- yes, that is that is the theolog- the theology that everyone needs to be doing. It, yeah. It's doctrine matters. So often doctrine is the dividing line between orthodoxy and heresy. Right. And the orthodoxy that we have in the East and the West, um, they were working off definitions of textual interpretation hammered out in Africa. In Africa. So the work that the West did and mm-hmm. the East did on doctrine were hammered out in Africa before the West and the East had a chance to do it. Definitions yeah. of Christology, right? The doctrine of Christ, the yeah. doctrine of the Trinity. Right. They were profoundly shaped by definitions and concepts that were done decades earlier. Mm-hmm. Decades earlier. Right. By men like Tertullian and, and Athanasius and Augustine. In Africa. In Africa. Say it again. In Africa. In Africa. And, and I'm going to say it all, all the time. So, so much of the orthodox doctrines yeah. that we hold dear today, mm-hmm. that we believe today, were first worked out and worked through and developed in Africa. And, and like then, you said, we have Africa to thank for that. Yes. And for th- us having it now. Then it worked mm-hmm. to the West and the East. Yeah. Uh, again, now don't misunderstand us. These doctrines were already in Scripture. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. They didn't come up with the doctrines. No. What they did is because they understood how to properly exegete Scripture, right. how to properly interpret Scripture. Because principles right. that are outlined. They were able to understand what Scripture was saying about right. doctrine. Yeah. And they were able to lay that out. Number four. Praise God. Early ecumenical decision-making followed African patterns. Mm-hmm. You probably heard that and went, what? what? <laughs> the church. Ecumenical. The church has always gathered people together. Mm-hmm. They've always gathered leaders together and brought them through, brought them to debate, mm-hmm. brought them to work through tough issues to, to settle disagreements and to come to a conclusion. Mm. That's what we mean by ecumenical. It's mm-hmm. bringing people that are not viewing things exactly the same or have different views and bringing them together right. to, to come about with an agreement. Right. We see this all the way back in the New Testament. Which is huge in Christianity. Very <laughs> That's important. That's what we need. We see this in Acts chapter 15 mm-hmm. at the Jerusalem Council. Mm-hmm. There are disagreements oh, yeah. about how do we bring in these Gentiles? Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have the law. Do they get mm-hmm. circumcised? Do they, right. can, you know, can they eat meat that we mm-hmm. can't eat? Can they, like, how, how does this work out? Mm-hmm. And these early Christian leaders gathered, gathered together with varying views. Mm-hmm. And they hammered out right. doctrine. They right. hammered out and they came away with a conclusion. That they agreed on. That they agreed which on. Which is the more essential. Right. <laughs> and as these centuries went on, we see councils, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, we can look at councils and synods, and um, we, we see this all throughout church history. Mm-hmm. But here's what we need to understand. It is Africa, early African councils that provide the model mm-hmm. for debate and resolution. Wow. They lay out how this should be done. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to bring a council together? Africa was the first region to set the pattern and method for seeking wider consent and contested scriptural interpretation. Here's the pattern and method that we, we do this. I think the most famous Christian council is the Council of Nicaea. Oh, yeah. Right? In uh, 325. Mm-hmm. A century before this, well-established African churches were having councils hmm. and deliberating on Christian orthodoxy. Unfortunately, most historical literature doesn't mention it doesn't mention it doesn't mm-hmm. talk about the fact that Africa kind of started this right. and laid this out uh, even though many of the decisions made by the African councils we still believe and follow today wow 
Um, we like to think that the West originated everything. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't. They yeah. didn't come up with councils. They didn't come up with how to do councils. Mm-hmm. Um, councils were from the very beginning, but again, honed patterns, mm-hmm. methods, developed in Africa, and some of the things that they they did ecumenical-wise, ecumenical-wise, gathering them together, that the decisions yeah. they made, we still believe today. Right. And we still follow today. Mm-hmm. Number five, the African desert gave birth to worldwide monasticism. Say that word again. Monasticism. Define that word. Uh, ecumenical <laughs> and monasticism. <laughs> using some big words. Dude, I saw your notes and it was like, oh, he's going to have fun with that. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have <laughs> That's to. That's going to be. Now. Uh, glad it wasn't me. Let, me. let me define it <clears throat> by saying this. Yeah. A life of prayer, mm-hmm. study, work, sacrifice. Christian discipline. Those, that's Christian discipleship. Right. Everybody should be about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody should be about a life of prayer, study, work, mm-hmm. sacrifice, like that. That's got to be our life. Mm-hmm. However, throughout history, there have been Christians for one reason or another that have sought to abandon mm. all other responsibilities except those. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Um, no family responsibilities, whatever it may be, right? They just, they, they abandon all other responsibilities to do nothing but focus on discipleship. And we call those monks. We end up calling those monks, okay? Here, and, and the Western European monasticism is what mm-hmm. we always think about. I always think of Robin Hood. Oh, like yeah. I think of Friar <laughs> Tuck, right? And I go to, you know, I go like his whole life was, you know, uh, all this stuff and beer, apparently, and, right. uh, and, and but that, you know, that's kind of what I think about, right? Yeah, yeah. And and just men who have dedicated nothing, you know, um, they dedicate everything to discipleship. Right. We find out, um, you know, Martin uh, Luther, Luther was yeah. he was a monk right. before you know he left mm-hmm. the Catholic Church. So um, mon- monasticism has roots before the Roman Catholic Church ever got a hold of it. Mm. And it has roots in Africa. Mm-hmm. And, and here's where it came from. There was so much suffering and persecution going on that some Africans abandoned cities. They abandoned areas where people are, and they go into the desert mm-hmm. to do nothing but focus on discipleship. Yeah. Um, we probably have heard the name Jerome. I think we've mentioned it already in, in these three little mini series that we've done here, but Jerome translated the Greek and Hebrew into Latin. Mm-hmm. Jerome gained his bearings on his monastic vocations by going to places such as Africa, wow. going down the Nile river, mm-hmm. learning from men like Didymus, mm-hmm. um, Jerome massively impacted by African monasticism. Yeah. When European monasticism took hold. You have men like Basil in the East and Benedict in the West who basically write monastic rules. Right. They write down, here's what it looks like to be a monk. Right. right? Here's so what they it follow looks these like. Patterns. Right. They, yeah. This is this is the pattern and method and, mm-hmm. and rules that you need to ab- abide by. But right. long before Basil and and um and Benedict ever wrote their stuff down, mm-hmm. Africans were living it before they ever even wrote their stuff down. Africans were living it out. Number six, Christian Neoplatonism. There's another one. There's another one, right? Uh, Ecumenical, monasticism, Neoplatonism. But Christian Neoplatonism emerged in Africa. Mm -hmm. Now, we are all familiar with Greek philosophy. Yeah. Um, Greek philosophy has impacted the West mightily. Oh, yeah. Um, It has had a massive impact on the world. Mm-hmm. Many of us as Christians, even if, if we're unfamiliar with the term Neoplatonism, mm-hmm. um, that language is not something that we talk about too much. Right. We believe some of the things that Christians have adopted from Greek philosophy and conform them into Christianity. Yeah. So you're listening to this, you probably believe it, you don't know that you believe it. Yeah. Let me explain. From the early days of the church until the present the Orthodox Church has made positive selections and positive selective use of ancient Greek philosophy, mm. uh, particularly people like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and the Stoics, mm-hmm. 
And what they do is they selectively choose from Greek philosophy Mm. and they bring it into Christianity and then they rightly define it through scripture, through God, through Mm. truth. An example of this, what does John do at the very beginning of his gospel? And the word became flesh and dwelt Mm. among us. In the beginning was the word, the logos. Yeah. That idea of a, of the of the logos that idea was a greek philosophy idea mm-hmm. they greek philosophers had debated mm-hmm. what is the logos what what is this thing mm-hmm. how do we define it john comes in grabs it brings it into christianity and says it's jesus right right yeah he's so the one he he's he is the the word mm-hmm. that has been made flesh mm-hmm. we we see um Paul, mm-hmm. when he goes to Mars Hill and he uses, he quotes Greek philosophers yeah. to the Greeks mm-hmm. in order to win them to Jesus. Right. He says, listen, your own philosophers say in him we live and move and have our being. Yeah. Let me tell you about the in him part. Mm. Right? And, mm-hmm. and so this is what Christianity has always done with Greek Right. Philosophy. They've redeemed it. In, yeah, in and, sense, it, and right? that, it's called Neoplatonism, right, right. within Christianity. Right. Now, the two dudes that, the two guys that mastered this were Origen and Augustine. Mm-hmm. They mastered Christian Neoplatonism, and they were directly responsible for its spread everywhere, mm-hmm. right? So it, it's going to take root in Rome. It's going to take root in other places, but, or I, I guess, guess it's going to take fruit there. Mm-hmm. It's going to take root in Africa. Yeah, yeah. It is going to start with Augustine and Origen mastering this and taking terms and ideas of Greek philosophy mm-hmm. and, and saying, here's how Christianity defines this thing. Right. I, I love what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, that the Greeks and Romans aren't far off. Mm-hmm. And I first read that and I thought, what? <laughs> yeah, they're far off. They got like Zeus and yeah, like, yeah. what are you talking about? Of course they're far off. But right. he understood something about the Greek and the Romans and even the Norse. Mm-hmm. He understood that they looked at everything mm. and said, there's got to be a God in charge of this. Right Now, where they went awry was saying there's a God there's a different God of the river. Then there's a different God of the thunder. Then there's a different God of this. And there's a different God of that, but they knew there's gotta be a God of the ocean. There's gotta be a God of the, of the storm. There's gotta be a God of the sun. There's gotta be a God of the moon. Mm -hmm. And, and in a slight degree, what Neoplatonism is, is taking the areas that they're thinking about good, right stuff Mm -hmm. and saying, now Christianity gives you the answer to that stuff. Right. And again, this is honed and mastered in Africa so, and spread. So you mean to say that we can take something that is not originally Christian and redeem that and use it for God yes, honoring purposes? Yes. Uh, hip hop would be not would be one of Marxism, and it's not. Oh yeah, that too. Uh, uh, but hip hop <laughs> would be one of those, Tyler. Yes, right. I'm, I'm familiar. Um, number seven. Lastly, rhetorical and dialectical skills were honed in Africa. There's mm. another one: ecumenical mm-hmm. monasticism. Oh yeah. Neoplatonism, mm-hmm. rhetorical and dialectical skills. Glad um, you're saying it, not me. These were honed in Africa. Mm-hmm. Now, as Christians, I think we understand the importance of communication. Oh, yeah. I think we understand the importance of a logical argument. Mm-hmm. We understand that we need rhetorical skills and communication skills and reason skills and logic skills in order to transfer Christian tradition and doctrine throughout the world. Yeah. If we can't Hearing logically, God, right? yeah, and if we can't logically and reasonably and and effectively communicate truth, then no one's going to believe it. Yeah. Logical arguments from one truth to another to come to conclusions. Oh, yeah. Um, This seems to be honed. um, These skills seem to be honed and introduced in Africa. Mm. Um, When it gets moved to the West, it, again, explodes. It blows up. It gets popular. Mm -hmm. But we... 
when we look at what was going on in the African Christian tradition, Mm -hmm. it seems like they really cared about communication skills, literary passions. So by the time we get to people like Tyconius and Augustine in the fourth century, Mm -hmm. we have a form of communication and logic that comes to proper conclusions Mm -hmm. that far exceeds anything that's happening up north North. and west. Yeah, yeah. So in, in... when Augustine comes on the scene in the fourth century, this is already laid out. Mm. Augustine's not having to create that. This is already laid out. Yeah. It allows him to write his books like the city of God right. and, and his confessions, because these things are already laid out. Mm-hmm. He, these things, rhetorical and dialectical language and communication skills and, and logic and reason and how to use that and communicate that in order to present truth is already laid out. So laid out by who? By Africans. So when we think of why European communicators became so effective and standards of communication and dialect were written down that impacted the world, once again, we have Africa to thank. So these seven things, and this isn't the totality of it all, but these are seven things that Thomas Oden lays out that I thought, man, it's important for Christians to know this, to know my history. Right. My history is black history. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. My Christian history mm-hmm. is black Christian history. Right. This is at, not a white man's as religion. As a white man. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so important for, for us to know. And the life of the mind that these people cared about yeah. and the impact that they have had on the intellect um, is so massively important. And I think that's going to lead us to what you want to do, right. which is talking about the life of the mind in all Christians right. and how it really matters. couple episodes back, man, we talked about uh, the church in Ephesus. I quoted Revelation 1 where Jesus says, I know how legit your doctrine is, but Mm -hmm. you forgot the love. Right. Um, And if you don't repent, he actually kind of threatens them in a way. And if you don't repent, I will remove my influence from the church. And as a result, uh, the church's impact will suffer greatly. Mm -hmm. That's a bit of a paraphrase, but the heart of it's there. Yeah. Uh, I stated that it is of utmost importance that we as a church unite under the banner of Christ and love people. Amen. Amen. And, and that is true. But also in that passage, Jesus does praise the church in Ephesus. And I don't want to skip over that yeah. for being solid in their thinking yeah. and their attention to doctrine. Right. Uh, for calling out heresies and, and using their minds to think rightly about God and the mm-hmm. things of God. So, so both are important. Absolutely. And I, that's important to say. Yeah. Loving people and loving God is super important. Yeah. Using your mind to do that is important. Right. And, and it's like, we split those up sometimes, Tyler. Like sometimes we split that up and we're like, Oh, you shouldn't be too intellectual or you shouldn't be too emotional. And it's like, yeah, both. We should, we should, we have the capacity to do both. <laughs> to to do, do both. both. Yeah. Right. Uh, even the most popular verse, you know, it, it talks about loving God with your mind. That's Matthew twenty two thirty seven, 37, mm. uh, where it says, you must love the Lord, your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. That's right. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. So he puts both in there. Yeah. Uh, and he puts great value in both. And so, right. Uh, I'm a definition guy, so let's define the mind because we're going to talk about how we can love God with yeah, our mind. With, right? yeah, with the mind. Um, and so the definition of mind is the element of a person that enables them to be aware of the world mm-hmm. and their experiences, to think and to feel the faculty of consciousness and thought. Uh, the secondary definitions of person's intellect. Both are applicable. Right. Uh, speaking of, quick shameless plug, side note, uh, you and David Adamson, good friend yeah. of ours, have started a podcast called yep. Mind Matters, yep. uh, where you guys tackle m- matters of the mind, yeah. mental health, loving God with your mind. Yeah. Um, and dude, it was it was fantastic. You guys Thanks, just dropped man. the debut yeah, episode. Last one last week. Yeah, um, first one last week. I mean, yeah, man, you guys. Well, thank you very much. You guys did such a good job, and I, I would encourage any listeners who, um, honestly, anybody, because everybody has minds. Right. Uh, we need to take care of them. Right. Um, but man, you guys were so transparent on that first episode with your mm-hmm. testimonies. 
Right. And it was just, it was really good. I think that podcast is very needed. Yeah. And so if you guys, uh, who listen to, to our outsiders podcast, please also listen to mind matters. It is a fantastic podcast and, uh, I'm excited to see what, yeah, we're excited about it. We think it'll be very beneficial because again, as you just read, we have been called to love God with our mind. Yeah. And if our mind ain't right, then ain't nothing going to be right. Well, it's just, it's health, right? (laughs) Overall health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how can we love God with our mind? It's a great question. Uh, JP Moreland says that Christians must rely on the Holy spirit in their intellectual pursuits, Mm -hmm. but this does not mean they should expend no mental sweat of their own in defending the faith. Right. Uh, this is his book, love your God with all your mind, the role of reason in the life of the soul. And so, um, wait, so you're saying you don't, just rely on the Holy Spirit, kick your feet up. Yeah, man. And you don't, don't work. You, yeah, you don't just pray that prayer. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> just sit back and not work. Yeah, but and I, I think that's the temptation. We laugh, but I think that's the temptation yeah. because we do have uh you know certain right theology that says that God does everything. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but we are still responsible. We right. are still responsible in uh yeah. you know, get off your butt and because and God uses means. Do. Yeah. He absolutely. uses the work and the effort that and the exertion of energy that I put forth as a means, yeah. and he's still sovereign over that too, but as a means of bringing about things. Yeah. And so when I engage my mind and I do the hard work, I've had people say to me before, I just don't like reading. Right. I get it. Yeah. Read anyway. Yeah. You know, I'm not a good reader. Read anyway. Right. Because it is in doing that work mm-hmm. and engaging your mind that that's what we're talking about here. And and nowadays there's so many things that you can do if you're not a good reader. Right. That you can kind of build. I mean, you don't have to sit down with just a book. You can sit down with a right. book and you can sit down with notes and a sermon that the dude that yeah, wrote a, the book is talking right. about. Yeah, like there's you, just so much there. So I mean, you don't just have to rely on your, right. you know, reading comprehension. And there and there's really no excuse not to put in the work. Right. The, especially these days with every tool that we have at our disposal. Um, to not put in the mental work, yeah. Um, man, I don't know any other way to say it than it's laziness on our part. Yeah, you know, and I'm, I don't mean that harshly. I'm not trying to like beat you over the head if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't read, I don't think right. hard, I don't. I'm just saying God's given us too much for us not to take advantage yeah, of it. I agree. Uh, it is important that Christians think deeply about the things deeply. of God. Yep. So it's also important that we are well read, well versed, like we just talked about. Um, about what the word of God says, but also about culture mm. and current events and social right. issues. We need to think about those things as well. We need right. to, we need to have something to say about those things. Right. Um, now, obviously we don't have the same things to say about those things that the world will say. Yeah. We got a different worldview. We have a gospel lens. Right. Um, but, but we need to have say something to say about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as Christians, we have a unique grasp on what is true and that's how we should view it. So, I'm not saying that Christians are all knowing. We all know we are not. Right. Um, but we do have a relationship with the God who is. Yeah, he is all knowing. Exactly. And, and, and in his grace, he imparts truth to us through his word. Uh, so, you know, we see the R. Kelly verdict and social issues and politics, et cetera. Like the R. Kelly verdict, for instance, like we, we see that we're mad about it. We, right. we hate what has happened. Yeah, what he's done. And somehow we're still praying for his salvation. Right. Right. And that's yeah. through the filter and, and right. you know, the gospel lens because we know what he has done for us. Right. And so, um, and the, the, the world, whether they know it or not, right. They need a different worldview. Yeah. Like the world doesn't know that they need to think differently about it, but right. they need to think differently about because it. Because truth is truth, no matter if you believe right. it or not. And so what what we're doing is we're saying, okay, I'm going to engage my mind in Scripture mm-hmm. so that I know what God's Word says. I know who He is. I know how He lays out you know, what my life should look like and how I think. So I'm engaging my mind there. Then I look at the world I live in, and right. I engage my mind there, and I bring the two together. And I say, now, what does God's, what bearing does God's word have to say about these things that I'm thinking about on a daily basis? Absolutely. And that's what the world doesn't do. The world, and this is why we're outsiders, right? Right. The world looks at the situations that are going on and they come from a subjective, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm either mad about it or I don't care about it or I 
Uh, I have this opinion about it mm-hmm. where we come with a standard because we've engaged the mind to love God. We come at a standard to that, that engages that very differently and, and applying the mind to both of those things and then bringing them together is what we're talking about here. Exactly. And, and this is why caring about the things that we care about right now with the outsiders podcast and uh, wrestling with social justice issues, right. that that's why that's not a waste of time. Yeah. It's why it's not engaging in Marxism or socialism. Right. Um, it's kingdom work. Dude, it's it is kingdom, kingdom work. work. Uh, and again, because Christians, you know, we claim to know the truth. And if we don't have something fruitful and coherent to say about these issues, the world will. Right. The world's going to say something. They're going to say something. Yep. And most of the time, it ain't going to be the right thing. Yeah. Um, they can have grains of truth in there, but yeah. they're not going to have the whole truth. And, and we've got to be able to bring... View. The whole truth. Yeah. And I, I love our historical segment, uh, this podcast or this episode, because you just shared, because it shows African minds transformed by the gospel coming to know Jesus, but then using their minds to further the gospel and right. Christian doctrine. Right. Um, our affection and devotion for God is directly tied to biblical truth. Right. Like say, say, you, need to, you need to say that again. Okay. Our affection and devotion for God is directly tied to biblical truth. Right. I, I love Jesus because the truth that I know about him. Right. And the more you know yeah. that your mind knows, mm-hmm. the more you're going to love God. Oh, absolutely. They're linked together. Yeah. John Piper in his book, Think, The Life of the Mind and Love of God, um, he wrote, God is not honored by groundless love. Mm. In fact, there is no such thing. That, that one stuck out right yep. there for There's me. no such thing. If we do not know anything about God, there is nothing in our mind to awaken love. Mm-hmm. If love does not come from knowing God, there is no point in calling it a love for God. Man, th- that that is so true in every area of life. Right. I think when I I read that, I think about my wife. Mm. We've been married for 20 years. I know her better now than I did when we first got married or when we first started dating. And I love her more now. Right. The more that I have learned about her, Mm -hmm. the more I have engaged my whole being, including my mind, Mm -hmm. engaged my whole being in finding out who she is, Mm -hmm. why she is the way she is, Mm -hmm. why she thinks about things the way she thinks about her character, her everything about her that I can figure out. Right. And you know, there'll be stuff I'll never figure out, (laughs) but everything about her that I can figure out, it has caused me to love her more. Right. And that's what Piper's saying. That love I have for my wife isn't groundless. There's a ground and a foundation to it. Yeah. The love I have for God is going to be what I know about him. Yeah. And I think Jessica's fantastic, but she's an imperfect human being. Yeah. And God is not. Right. And, and so, so when, yeah. the more we imagine learn about the love God, that that's going to, yeah. Right. Yep. Um, so uh, the African thought leaders that had a massive impact on Christianity loved God with their minds yes. and they honored him as a result. Yes. Uh, so how do we do that? I got two ways. I'm going to keep it really simple today. Uh, it's not easy, but it's simple. Isn't that the way God always is? Yeah. Like, like it's simple. gives you these principles. But it's like the but, hardest thing you'll ever do. Yeah, yeah it's pretty hard. <laughs> right. Um, and, and the first one is we need to think rightly about God, mm. right? Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, I'm a, I'm a children's minister uh, at our church, right. and, and that is our themed verse in, for Awana. And, mm-hmm. and Awana is a program, it's really awesome, where they learn scripture and they really get it in their heads and hearts and, uh, right. and they study the, I mean, right. literally like the whole time they're studying and working right. to memorize and commit it to script, uh, commit it to memory, yeah. uh, scripture. And so, um, it says study to show yourselves approved a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Mm. Um, now we as a church need to take this seriously and become workmen. Work. We need to men. work. We need to work. study. Men yeah. work, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Work facts. Yeah. Work. And that's anything in life, but especially this, right. uh, we need to study God's word. We need to think deeply about the things concerning the mm. Lord. Uh, so we can think rightly about him. Right. And let me just share, Amen. you know, 2020 was an insane year for all of us. Right. Uh, we went from everyone kind of living our comfortable American existence, yeah, just doing our a, thing to a global crisis and, and panic in a matter of months, like many of us lost loved ones, mm-hmm. um, that year and even this year, 
uh, lost jobs, lost security. My family went through a ton of trauma with uh, getting the virus and then uh, stage four cancer and betrayal and unhealthy boundaries. And it has put us in a place where how we think about God mattered so much. Mm. What I knew to be true about God was, was truly put to the test. And because he's faithful and because he's gracious, uh, we made it out of that season with a better understanding of who he is. Right. Um, not a perfect understanding. And, and you know, we, sure. we walk with a limp sure. uh, still, but um, we have a better understanding of who he is. And I cannot imagine what that would have been if, if we didn't put the work in and if we didn't know what we know about God. Right. Like I can't I, imagine I, navigating through that. <laughs> through those that time. kind of things, yeah. I'm going to use an analogy here, and um, I just thought about it, so it's it's very um, possible that it's gonna it's gonna really be bad. But um, <laughs> I'm going to try to go ahead and lay it out anyway. So going back to basketball, right? I'll edit it out. Uh, I told you, I told you. We're going to talk basketball. It's going to come up here and there. <laughs> um, but putting in the work and yeah. practice and in the off season, oh yeah, is what prepares you for the game. Oh yeah, and. You don't get better at basketball really during the season. Mm-hmm. During the season, you don't get better. Mm-hmm. You get better in the off season when you do the work. You hear that AI? Right. Practice. Yeah. yeah practice. <laughs> you you get better yeah. at the game oh, yeah. in the season in the off season. Mm-hmm. That principle is true. When difficult difficult times, like that's the game, right? right. Right. Not talk about practice. Not yeah. talk about practice. Yeah. Talk about the game. Talk about the game. If you don't understand that, look up AI. Look it up. Practice yeah. on you. Practice. Um, the season comes. Like yeah. that's the game. Mm-hmm. The work you put in in the off season allows you to play the game naturally. Mm. Right. It's just instinct. It's nature. You, right. you you're just flowing at that point. Yeah. In our Christian lives. The game is the trial and the struggle and the, 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 oh, the yeah. difficulty. Mm-hmm. You don't do the work in knowing about God in those moments because yeah. you're just trying to survive, right? <laughs> right. What happens is when you're in the light and things aren't difficult and then you're, you're putting in the work to know mm-hmm. who God is, you're putting in that intellectual effort and work. Mm-hmm. When the dark time comes, yep. you won't forget what you've learned in the light right. and you'll be able to to flow within that difficult situation because of what you've learned in the light. Absolutely. So the game comes along, the season comes along. I know all the work that I've put in. I right. know what I know now. Yeah. The game's going to come. I'm going to be better for it. Right. I know by putting in the work and learning who God is and the nature of God during the light, I know that when the darkness comes, oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to cling to what I've learned in the light. Yeah. Don't forget in the dark, what you've learned in the light. Absolutely. And the reality is you won't. That analogy was you know on I mean? point, bro. That was on point. That was on point. That was on point. Not bad. You know, I never know what's going to come out of my mouth, whether it's going to make <laughs> sense or not, but that was all right. Your poor right. wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, so number one was we need to think rightly about God. Number two, let's think rightly about thinking. Mm. Um, you know, our minds are one of the biggest gifts that God has given to us, and I don't think we we take it as that sometimes. Right. The ability to think and create and articulate our thoughts and come up with ideas are unique to who we are as humans. Yeah. No other creature gets to do what we do and is afforded that mental freedom and capacity that we have as humans. So just like any other gift that God has entrusted to us, we need to, to steward it well and we need to use it, use our thinking to honor God. Right. Uh, yeah. In other words, we need to use our brains for his glory. Use our brains for his glory. I like that. Yeah. Again, simple. Yeah. Use oh, it's our simple. brains. You're saying for all his these glory. crazy words, and I'm like, brains. Brains. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but man, if you are a scientist and you are a Christian, then your thinking should be to do your job with excellency. Right. Your job is to be the absolute best scientist that you can be, understanding that uh, Colossians three seventeen, you are working unto the Lord. Mm. If you're a janitor and you are a Christian, your thinking should be that this room that I leave, before I leave this room, it's going to sparkle. I'm going to clean this as if I'm doing it unto the Lord. For Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to clean this bathroom for the glory of the Lord. Honoring God with our thinking 
means always thinking to honor God. Mm, say that again. Honoring God with our thinking means always thinking to honor God. Mm. Um, the so Christian good. Africans that we mentioned uh, throughout this whole series, they did not just learn the truth of who God is and sit with it. Right. They fought deeply about God, and they used the unique gifts that God gave them. And they did have unique gifts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were talking about the dialect and, and um, just the way that they kind of laid out these methodologies and things like they had gifts that right. we don't have. Yeah, it took gifted people to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It takes gifted people to do that. That's good. Um, and so we need to uh, think deeply about the things of God mm-hmm. and, and make sure that we are putting in the work, becoming workmen and uh, really, you know, that's how you honor God with their thinking. Yeah. And, and, and when we use the African Christians as an example, they weren't just intellectual to be intellectual, right? I, I know Absolutely. some I know some professing Christians that just love being an intellectual Christian. Oh yeah. Like they just they love to analyze, they love to discuss, they love mm-hmm. but I don't like hanging out with them because yeah. they ain't putting into practice what their brain is yeah. analyzing. That's where you miss out on the love, right? That right. we talked about in the yeah. very beginning. Is but see that that wasn't how the intellectuals were. Right. The African church wasn't like that. The right. African church, they're, they're doing all this work in their mind. They're mm-hmm. loving God with their mind. They're, but it wasn't just an intellectual exercise. It was like, okay, now we're going to do something with this. Yeah. And you know where that's evident? Is because it spread. Yes. It didn't just, you know, intellectually yes. spread. It, it spread right. because there was life on life, like yeah. we talked about in the previous yeah. episodes. It wasn't. It didn't just stay in in Africa. Right. It it spread throughout the world because yeah. they were like, we're going to use our brains yeah. to honor God. Yeah. And we are, and all this stuff that they honed and and you know perfected, so to speak, and kind of came up with yeah. that impacted the whole world. It came from them saying, I'm going to use my mind and do something with it. Amen. And that's the example that should be laid for us. Absolutely. We are going to engage our mind in scripture, engage our mind in the world, and we are going to do something with this. And who knows how God will use what you do with it, mm. what you hone, what you perfect, what you work on. Yeah. who knows how God may use that to impact other people as well. Absolutely. So we are thankful that you are with us for the last of this little mini series. Uh, Tyler and I haven't even talked about what we're going to next, so I can't tell you where we're going to go, <laughs> but we're going to go somewhere. It's going to be sure. good. It's going to be good. Um, but thank you for sticking with us in this little series, the black presence in early Christianity. Uh, again, follow us on all of our socials, like subscribe, Instagram, Twitter, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook, and, um, Please get the word out there. We think this is a beneficial podcast. We wouldn't be spending our time doing it. And uh, we are so thankful that you are along for the ride. Until next time.